Welcome to the Smoke and Rope Podcast, the show that brings together Michigan's top cannabis growers, advocates, and business owners to offer a fresh and honest perspective of Michigan's cannabis industry. Stick with us to get the lowdown from the people who have been on the ground floor of cannabis business in Michigan and gain insights into where the industry may be heading. Welcome to the Smoke and Rope Podcast. I'm your host today, Kevin Pibus with True Cannabis. I'll be filling in for our good friend, uh, Ryan Basor, who is out from uh, having a new baby boy. So uh, big congratulations to Ryan and his wife. Um, we hope nothing but the best for you guys and, and, and a healthy baby is great. So congratulations. Uh, today is episode uh, 69. We've got uh, Ryan Ratzloff from uh, Lion Labs with us today. Ryan, how's it going? It's going great. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for coming on. And as always, we've got our good friend uh, Tom Beller over at Relief Solutions. Tom, how's the weather up there? Gentlemen, oh, we've got about three inches of snow, man. Ooh. Yep. More well, coming. Yeah. Well, I heard we're uh, we're getting close to that down here. Uh, the day is coming sooner than later. Um, so uh, hopefully we can hold off a little bit longer. But uh, anyway, uh, Ryan, uh, it's great to have you on the show. Uh, Ryan, like I said, is the CEO over at Lion Labs uh, here in Lansing, Michigan, where I actually uh, have my facilities. And so Ryan and I have had some uh, some good interactions. We've worked together, and uh, I know he runs a great operation over there. So uh, Ryan, if you could real quick give us a rundown of, uh, of who Ryan is and um, uh, what about Lion Labs. Sure. Thanks for having me, guys. Um, so I'm Ryan Ratzloff. I'm the president and CEO of Lion Labs. Uh, if you're an unfamiliar, we're a larger um, processor. We don't grow, we don't do retail, we specialize in um, live resin extraction, uh, distillate. We're we'll be rolling out some solvent this year, probably by the end of the year. Um, but you know, our, our three big brands that we get behind are Element, um, Rise, our medically focused tablets, tinctures, creams, lotions, etc., and Dream Caramels. Uh, those are the three brands that we represent. We do a little bit of white labeling and third party processing as well for you know some friends around. Them. Uh, the state of Michigan. Yeah, you know, uh, you, like I said, you've uh, you guys have done some work from uh, me and, and with the Redemption family, and we appreciate what you guys do. You guys do a, a great job over there and run a, a really good operation. And uh, that all being said, um, you know, we wanted to bring you on the show today. I was talking to Nate yesterday, knowing that Ryan was going to be out, and we were trying to f- figure out someone that we could kind of talk to about uh, the outdoor season. You know, we're in Croptober. Uh, most of the outdoor stuff is in by now. And, uh, you know, when we were kind of racking our brains, I thought, you know, you and I had, had some really good conversations about, uh, you know, you going out in the field this year and, and preemptively kind of figuring out some contracts and working through some things to try to stock up for Lion Labs for uh, the upcoming season. And uh, so I figured you'd be a great person to talk to about that. And uh, so that being said, I was kind of wondering how, how was the outdoor season this year compared to years of past? Uh, so far, um, what we've been receiving has been has been pretty good. Um, we're really happy. I think 80% of the strains and uh, groups that we've picked to work with so far have uh, delivered an exceptionally high level of terpenes um, that are really true to the characteristics of the strains that we're looking, you know, to put out with Element. Um, this year, you know, we spent a tremendous amount of time in the fields, two to three, four days a week uh, for, you know, the better eight to 10 weeks, uh, going back to farms we have good relationships with, visiting with farmers, checking the status of the plants. Um, as you guys know, we're in Michigan. You guys got a couple inches of snow. I saw there's even more. So far, Lansing looks fine. 
um, but the the climate varies dramatically from the UP down to the border. So, you know, it was important for us to cherry pick the best outdoor flower um, from each garden. Uh, Element has enough of an you know a reach that we we buy significant amounts if it's good. Um, we're still in the process right now of qualifying those strains. So I probably hit 30 to 40 outdoor gardens. Um, and we started narrowing that down to pick, you know, who we thought was going to be able to actually deliver the best high quality fresh frozen material. Um, you know, it, it's interesting because I think there's a big um, kind of misnomer that outdoor flower isn't as good as indoor flower. And if you're looking at, you know, bag, bag appeal, I think you're right. Uh, if you're smoking just the flower, there's probably a lot of things that are more desirable uh, from an indoor perspective. Um, but for us, no one's ever going to see the flower. We're only interested in the terpenes. So we're out in the field squishing every strain from every grower, hunting for what we think is going to be the loudest, what's going to be truest to you know, the genetics that are represented. Um, and unfortunately, the, the, the tricky part about that is just like curing how you harvested and how you you fro froze that weed and how you got it here safely um, is just as critical as the three to four months you spent, you know, getting it to that point. Um, and so, you know, we, we did see a lot of really great attempts at growing um, that unfortunately those those groups, you know, kind of eliminated themselves as the season went on because uh, disease sometimes will creep through and take out a giant chunk of an outdoor garden. We saw people lose three thousand plants at once um, they got their plants in too early lost them all to frost um, and then even some of the very best growers that we think did the best job out of everyone ran into you know brellis or some um, late stage issues that disqualified those strains or plants from coming in um, you know i'd say overall from you know everything we saw we'd probably be looking at you know single digits on the percent that we'll actually bring in here that'll end up qualifying for um, the quality that'll go into element. Um, and we're still qualifying now. So, you know, we'll take, we'll take 50 to 100 pounds of each strain that we identified early as something we like, and we'll do a test run to make sure that it's gonna come out without having a lot of risk before we lean in to, to make it more of a staple and to, you know, bring it to a THCA or a cured resin if it was dried and a live resin and a cartridge and all the other types of products we like to put it uh, out of the market. I have a I have a question about terpenes and uh, because of the growing season in Michigan, uh, obviously choosing your genetics is the most important thing when you go to grow outdoor. Mm -hmm. It has yeah. to be, and Michigan is very regional in its climate too. So a lot of microclimates and people really need to, you know, focus on their genetics before you just start throwing plants outside. But um, because of that narrow, um, I'd say narrow window of genetics that can successfully be brought full term and properly managed all the way through um, to, to even test for the terpene development. Are there certain terpenes that you find are uh, more um, prominent in outdoor plants in Michigan than if you had a longer growing season? Uh, that's a good question. I haven't really analyzed the specific terpenes. Um, you know, typically we're looking for unique profiles. Um, you know, if it's if it's a lemon or an orange flavor, you know, is it distinct in a certain way? Um, you know, we're sourcing directly for element and we want, you know, people to either 
smoke that strain and go, oh, I, I know what this is supposed to smell like and taste like, and this nails it or it is it. If it's off, people overall don't have a, a good impression of that. Um, so not specific probably to the actual terpene that's more abundant because we're looking for, you know, kind of one-offs anyway that are a little more unique. If it, you know, one thing we don't want to get into is this just smells and tastes like weed where it has more of a generic overall weed taste. I'm not, you know, bro, I'm not interested in that. Yeah. Yeah. For the things that are overly abundant in the, you know, the more common terpenes. Sure. Um, yeah. Well, yes, those have their own specific, you know, set of, um, you know, entourage or ensemble effect when, you know, when you're smoking those versus something that carries over is like, yeah, like a limonene or pinene and mm -hmm. things of that and the different mixtures of, of those, um, certain strains do carry over from flower all the way through really nicely. But sometimes flowers, when they're growing, when they're, when they're growing, they will smell dramatically different once they're properly, even if you harvest them and try and extract immediately as the plant is maturing, it changes. So how, um, how do you guys go about that when you're choosing plants and you're out in a field and you're trying to work on a contract with a grower? As a grower, I'm kind of curious too. Like what are the things that you're looking at uh, and how do you typically grade uh, what you're seeing? Uh, most of that happens with the nose. Um, you know, we'll, we'll take a close look at, at the plants and the total structure. A lot of the bigger indicators for us are vigor and health. If the plant's really vigorous and really healthy, and is resistant and it's easier to identify outdoors sometimes because if the if that garden is having issues overall because of where it is or maybe some of the ipm that were wasn't successful or wasn't implemented in the right time um it'll allow the better plants to stand out that are healthier that you know uh and, and so if we lean into those plants that have vigor and are healthy despite the climate and environment they're in um, th those terpenes and flavors tend to stay true or hold all the way through the process. Um, you know, to your point about um, concentrates differing uh, from the original flower, we see that a lot if we run the same flower from live resin or cured resin, um, the concentrate may look slightly different. Um, and sometimes they're identical and people a lot of times prefer, prefer the cured resin over the live resin, which is strange and unique to us. Um, you know, from my perspective, I'm, I'm choosing live mostly, but um, a lot of times too, we'll see an absolutely different profile emerge where it surprises the growers we partnered with, um, you know, which is sometimes we scratch our head and wonder if they didn't mix bags up or something weird got mixed in there. But uh, <laughs> yeah, it, it's not uncommon for everyone to scratch their head and go, man, that was, that was surprising. We didn't, we didn't see that one coming. Yeah, it's crazy. Um, you know, this year, um, was, obviously, it will be the biggest outdoor harvest that Michigan has ever seen. And, uh, you know, that being said, the, the marijuana industry has not been, it, you know, um, uh, not hit by the by the COVID shortages and things of that nature. And I know that um, there were a lot of people that rushed to get plants in the ground and underprepared for uh, harvest season. And so I know that there was shortages on dry ice. There were shortages on freezer containers. There were shortages on uh, containers to store dry ice and flour. Um, can you talk to us a little bit about that and what you saw when it comes to that kind of thing? Yeah, good point. So uh, that was the biggest miss we saw broadly across the entire spectrum of everyone growing outdoors. Maybe half a dozen groups that we, you know, tried to work with uh, had planned on this, uh, had built freezers, 
had temporary freezers part of their MRA plan, um, which was a critical misstep several made in the past, not including the MRA into wheeling up a 53 foot, you know, reefer van that's on wheels isn't, you know, really f fly with the MRA, especially if it's not part of your plan. Um, it so, changes. yeah, right. So across the board, that was our first question. We, when we rolled up, said, cool, how's this coming down? What's your plan? What's your process? Who's bringing it down? What's the timing look like? And how are you getting it to us if we, if we choose to work with you or to others? Um, and a lot of, you know, a lot of groups just said, well, I'm going to call my dry ice guy and we'll start bringing it down, which we, we know isn't, you know, isn't going to work. Uh, dry ice is short across the country, across the globe. Uh, there's only so many, you know, we call them big blue bombers, uh, those big totes that hold 500 pounds available in Michigan. Uh, we work with a couple of the bigger, you know, CO2 suppliers to help facilitate the, the live residence transactions that we do on a weekly basis as it is. Um, you know, and I, I think some of the people just like, you know, they, they put too many plants out in the garden and kind of got caught by how much work it is to bring it down. Uh, similarly, didn't really plan on the scale and how much flour you can put on dry ice or how that works. Typically, you can get 50 to 60,000 grams in one of those big blue totes. Um, you know, it was frustrating to have people out there that we thought did a good job growing. See, they didn't have a plan to take it down and that they were going to fail as a result. Um, across the board, I'm, I'm willing to bet half the guys that were out outdoor let a lot of stuff die in the vine. Um, would be embarrassed to show you, you know, how things truly ended up at the end of the season, given the lack of preparedness that we saw, you know, late season from a drying perspective, the space to dry, the process to bring it down and their ability to either freeze or get dry ice. Yeah, the, uh, the importance of preserving those terpenes, whether it's through drying it properly or, or freezing it immediately, is it's just, uh, that's all the difference. I mean, there's just nothing you can do with with, uh, with flour that doesn't have any terpenes left on it, you know, uh, other right. than make it into distillate for edibles or, or something along those lines. And when you have so much, there's there's just no value in, in growing for that. But, um, you Proper know, uh, preparation prevents piss yes, poor performance. Absolutely. Um, you know, that being said, um, you know, we in years past, we've seen a, a really big dramatic hit on the industry when Croptober has come through, um, you know, with, uh, you know, the, the variable uh, pricing of, of flour based on shortages and overages and, and things of that nature, uh, you know, and then also, you know, this year, uh, you know, we probably had the most uh, plants outdoor of uh, adult use, just home grows, things of that nature, you know, so, um, but I know that that people took that, that that serious over the last few years that have made adjustments and, and like you did uh, kind of got out in the field and started kind of evaluating things early to try to mitigate any of those surprises that, that were out there. Um, you know, when you guys were, were preparing for this coming up uh, season, were you guys doing any kind of expanding? Did you get more freezer trailers in advance or, or how did you guys go about it? I mean, you mentioned that there was some, some farms that were, that were harvesting and direct shipping to you guys. And mm -hmm. so you guys can only source so much as well. Isn't that right? Yeah. Um, you know, we, we made that decision out in front of last year's season that it was going to be critical for us to be able to store, um, you know, a significant amount of supply safely so that, you know, if, if there are farms that we've chosen to work with, that we have the ability to help facilitate them in being successful coming out of the field. Um, you know, those that prepared and have freezers uh, are advantageous because they'll be able to preserve high quality product that they can probably sell you know, over the next three to six months, uh, those that we chose to work with didn't. So 
We can hold about 25 to 30,000 fresh frozen pounds here at Lion Labs in a large walk-in um, freezer that's, you know, inside of the DEA cage and insured for the entire value of it. Um, you know, that, that's a critical step for us to be successful that we can source good product. Uh, you know, we love outdoor flour from the perspective of terpenes. We, get well, we have to store it too at the, at the address. Don't you have to store it at the address of your license? Yes. So whatever you take in, you have to be prepared to hold on to for, so that's a crucial thing right. too. Yeah, if you don't have a long-term storage solution, you, you know, you're you're in trouble because dry ice is great and it's the coldest, but you lose 10% every day. And so, uh, you know, sourcing it, getting it, maintaining it, tapping it off and making sure that you're not running dry and running out of it's, you know, critical that whole piece. So uh, outside of, you know, our, our ability to store, we didn't really have to make a lot of other structural changes. Um, our equipment's as scaled up as, you know, as we can basically be, we run extremely cold. So our infrastructure was was ready. So you had mentioned Ryan earlier um, that you guys over at Lion Labs do uh, do the element concentrates, you do the, the rise tablets and then the, the dream caramels as well. Um, mm -hmm. You know, what, what, what do you guys see uh, as, as far as the market goes, uh, the effect that the Croptober has had, you guys seen a, a downturn? Do you see an upturn? What do you, what do you think so far you've seen uh, as far as purchasing goes? Uh, so far, we haven't seen much of um, much of a change from our perspective. I think prices will continue to come down. Um, you know, those will probably only come come down so far. Um, you know, like I mentioned, a lot of the guys that grew outdoor that plan on going to Fresh Frozen, um, you know, like as often discussed, everyone that grows is the best grower. Um, and those feelings were the same for most of the outdoor guys. I think everyone anticipated that they would bring this down and everyone that wanted to run Fresh Frozen would be be purchasing it in bulk. Um, the truth is there's only so much of an appetite for live resin. And just because there's 10 million pounds of fresh frozen that could go to live resin doesn't mean that the market will sustain that or purchase that much. Um, you know, and unfortunately, I, I think 80% of that outdoor flour is probably going to end up just going to distillate because they didn't have the infrastructure at, uh, on site to bring it down to to get into a live resin concentrate. So that'll be the big, you know, the big thing that I think is shifting from uh, the intention of what the outdoor grow into to what it'll actually be. Um, you know, I, I would expect cured resin to also come down, right? It's, a, it's an easier remediation with the hydrocarbon if, if, the, if the, the quality is good versus drying it and trying to sell it into the market. Uh, as flour. So uh, I, I, we probably won't fully see all the impacts of outdoor, um, you know, until end of December, January, February. A lot of groups have planned on, you know, taking a, a big move into the outdoor crops and fresh frozen have yet to get their labs up and running. Or if they did, they were probably late. And uh, turns out it's just not as easy as pushing the buttons on the machines and making it work. Really? A lot of bullish guys out there say, well, the machine's coming. It'll be here in a couple of weeks. We'll be processing in three to four. And in reality, you know, BFS and Lara, and then how you're going to post process and moving through, working through those kinks isn't as easy as everyone may, uh, the salesman describe to you when you purchase the equipment, let's say. So Ryan, what are your, what are your thoughts on the longevity of, of 
of outdoor growing as a as a mainstream source of revenue here in Michigan. It seems like uh, the more plants that come on board, the more people that grow outdoor, the 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 lower that they're going to receive in revenue and return for that product. And and then the failure rate uh, of growing in Michigan with the, with the mold and the and the wet conditions. And this year we had some really crazy weather, wind wise, and and really downpoured uh, type of weather that damaged a lot of plants, flooded some areas. Um, I mean, do you see this being a long term play for people, or are they going to have to get involved in processing or indoor cultivation just to kind of compete? Yeah, that's a good question. I think it, this is going to be a really interesting year to to see how that plays out. Um, you know, from from what we saw in the market, I I honestly don't think a lot of people are going to be successful with, with their outdoor crops. Um, in in general, it's a lot of flour that went to market. Um, a lot of the groups, as the season changed, realized that um, they probably had the wrong genetics or maybe the wrong team out in the field. Um, Unfortunately, from what we saw, a lot of those were Michigan folks, which is, you know, hurts being a Michigan guy, having grown since 08. Um, we're a whole team of caregivers here. And we like to see the caregiver guys succeed outside of everyone else. Um, but in reality, you know, they were pretty new to growing in Michigan, much like uh, the rest of us. Uh, the guys that we saw that had a little bit better uh, jumpstart were from Washington, Oregon, guys that had experience. Uh, growing outside at scale. Also, a lot of the plants that are grown off the backside of Mount Baker and that type of climate finish early, have some decent terpenes. We saw a lot of those guys early being the most successful. Um, so, you know, there's always a home in the market for, for high quality products. Um, if you're able to do a really great job and you have a brand that people trust that's consistently doing well, it's been our experience that that's you know, the best way to go. Uh, if you want to, you know, maintain a brand and stay in the market long term. If your goal was to make a quick buck and throw a bunch of plants outside, uh, those are the groups that we probably walked away from first because the issues started early and they came on and they, they're only getting worse. We're hearing of people that uh, are heading for pesticides from mosquito overspray because they were, aren't, weren't familiar with the area and weren't able to protect or even know that it was happening. Um, they lost their crop to bud rot. They might have caught a late frost because they had some, G, you know, GMO might still be out there in the fields. A lot of guys said they wanted to hang on to that through November. So, yeah, um, we walked away from the season thinking there's a lot of people that are in trouble. Yeah, it was crazy, you know, on on online, on Facebook, on Instagram and stuff, I saw pictures of people's grows outside and, and there was one I saw in particular that was like 10,000 or 20,000 outdoor plants and each one of them looked like they may have had like a quarter pound on each plant. And it's just like, I feel like you said, you know, unfortunately there there wasn't enough forethought or enough education in how outdoor, outdoor cultivation works to to, to really be successful. It's, a, it's something you have to dial in genetically, um, get your timelines right, get your dry areas, get your freezers or whatever you're doing all lined up in advance or else you're gonna run into major problems. So, um, you know, hopefully uh, as, as we move forward, you know, um, we'll see less and less of that as people learn their lesson and kind of figure out how to mitigate those problems early, just like the market has kind of seemed to mitigate the effects of Croptober as a, a, an economic standpoint, you know, of, of how, how, how much flux we've seen. So. 
Um, well, uh, you know, real quick, Ryan, before we're gonna we're gonna wrap up here in just a minute. But before we uh, we go, what's uh, what's Lion Labs got coming in the future? You guys looking to expand any of your your brands with new products? Are you guys looking to uh, expand out into new areas? Uh, are you guys thinking about cultivating? What what's going on with Lion Labs? Uh, yeah, no plans to cultivate or do retail. You know, um, we want to stay in our lane. We like what we do. We're good at it. Uh, we're just gonna keep plugging away and getting better. Uh, to help us get better, one exciting thing that Lion Labs is doing generally, I can't technically announce the, the group it is, but we'll be able to speak on that probably in the next week or two. Uh, we have a major university partnership uh, that has the DEA license and we'll be their extraction partner uh, funding all the research and development. So we're excited about that. When you see test results come back and Element's good about communicating and a lot of other groups we think that do good quality are starting to communicate. Um, we're trying to identify the unknowns. So you get a concentrate back that's 84% total cannabinoids and 10% terpenes. What's what's the rest? Is it broken molecules? Is it flavonoids, esters, etc.? We want to drive our research dollars at the university level to identify flavonoids, quantify them, test for them, esters, etc. So we can determine what are those other you know unknowns, other cannabinoids, etc. How are they medicinally valuable? How do we grow for them? Work with our growing partners to enhance the disconnect between, it's not just terpenes, it's not just cannabinoids. We know there's other parts in there that are meaningful, that drive flavor and potency and the entourage effect. So our main focus in that partnership will be to utilize major university tools that we don't have at our, our, our ability, train and educate their, their chemists and work with them in, a, you know, in step to further the whole industry. So we're super excited about being able to do that. I don't think That's anyone awesome, else man. in the world's working on that yeah, yet. Congrats. So, yeah, congratulations. Um, appreciate it. That's yeah, awesome. we, and this, like, our, our goal is to open source this for everyone, you know, for the betterment of the community. Um, as far as Element goes, uh, we are rolling out a pre-roll. Um, the first couple will start hitting stores next week. It's kind of a, a you know a test batch R and D run that we're putting out there until we probably roll some, you know, the, the final packaging and the final product. Uh, at the end of the year, but they are more live resin than flower. Uh, slightly over 50% will be live resin. We've been working on it for a long time. You'll see, you know, overall um, numbers between high 40s, low 60s in potency, terpenes between four and 8%, just like you see, you know, in our live resins. So uh, they're strong and they taste really, really good. I mean, you can, it's hard to get through a whole one, to be honest with you. Um, but that second or third time you pick it up, it tastes just as good as it did the first couple hits. So we, we have a lot of confidence on them. Um, and, where can and then we with Dream, we those? have, uh, so the original launch, those will be at a new standard and kind of our temp packaging and um, temp pre-roll. We want to make sure before we go bigger that we have all the kinks worked out, that the, the consumers are having a good experience with them, that we know exactly where they should be priced and uh, positioned in, in retail. We did this with New Standard, uh, uh, one of the grows are associated with to, uh, you know, bring some of the carts that people like the most, similar flavors. So uh, the things that did best for us last year will be available in a pre-roll. And then we look to partner with uh, people that are doing the best job growing to, you know, we'll, we'll hunt out the, you know, the best flower and we'll take some as full nug finished flower that you would sell to a dispensary We'll, we'll buy the, that same exact product and we'll, we'll want some of that fresh frozen of those same strains so we can merge the two and create 
the best expression of that strain in a pre-roll. Do like a cured and, oh, okay, interesting. That's very yeah. cool, man. Yeah, it's a unique way that we found to infuse it that uh, is, has proven to be, yeah, it'll be exciting, it'll, it'll be they're great. I'll be a guinea pig. I think you're time, you, go ahead, Tom. I also gotta say, I'll, I'll be your guinea pig, man. Okay, <laughs> great, yeah. yeah. <laughs> we'll connect later. I, yeah, I, I don't think the the timing could be any more perfect. From from what I understand, there's a big market shortage of pre rolls, so uh, mm-hmm. hopefully you guys slide right in there and, and make a big uh, big splash, and I hope everything goes well for you guys over there. Appreciate it. Yeah, we hope to. Yeah. Be wary of the trim pre roll. They're out there mm-hmm. lurking. Ugh. They are. Yeah, they are. Yeah, hey, I tell you what. You know, we're, our, part of the marketing behind this will be showing everyone the flower going in and the live resin going in. These aren't made from larfy trim or nasty failed flour or whatever people are trying to pass off as a pre-roll today. It's top shelf flour and top shelf flavorism from that strain. Yeah, those sound amazing. So anyway, we uh, I know we got some hard outs today. Um, I want to thank Ryan from, uh, for coming on the show, but I want to really quickly give Tom uh, a chance uh, to uh, you know give his final thoughts on today and then uh, sure. we'll wrap up. Damn it, Ryan, it's... Great to see you kicking ass, man. I remember the first time we spoke, and I think it might have been probably the last time we spoke, but a lot has happened since then, right? Do you remember? And uh, you had mentioned that you were so excited about the dab tabs. (laughs) And uh, so tell me about that. I mean, is that the same as the rise tabs? I mean, I'm not cool. I'm not hip. I don't know what's going on. Yeah, dab tabs, you know, was uh, something we'd hoped had would have had a little better success. It was an interesting delivery method to infuse um, concentrate to the ceramic tablet, basically. Um, we hope it would help bridge people into concentrates. It's kind of scary if you got a, a rig and a torch and all kinds of, you know, you could spend $1,000 just getting set up. Well, a dosing um, mechanism, right? I mean, that's that's really important and unique, and it's actually still something that is missing in the market. So, you know, ahead of your time, I'll just... State that yeah. right now. Oh, appreciate it. Yeah, we tried. Uh, they're still out there if you can if you can find them, but uh, you know, we'll let that fade away. But anyway, thank. Uh, great to see you kicking ass. Like to appreciate talk it. more later, and uh, we'll see you around, man. Appreciate it. Thanks, Tom. Thanks, Kevin. Yeah, Ryan. Any final thoughts for uh, for today? Uh, no, I appreciate you guys having me on. I think it's a great podcast. Um, you know, we enjoyed watching it before, and appreciate. Uh, Getting to discuss what's happening in you know in Michigan broadly, and uh, for the chance to uh, tell some people about some exciting things we have coming up. Definitely, and if uh, if somebody's trying to get a hold of Lion Labs, how can they get a hold of you? Uh, they can email us. They can hit us up on Instagram. We you know on Reddit, we're very prompt in responding to you know all the different social media avenues you, you have out there. Awesome. Well, thanks again, Ryan, for coming on the show. Uh, thanks for all the uh, the guests for li- uh, listening to us and and, and tuning in. Um, and uh, have a good week. Yeah. Hey, thank you, Kevin, for thanks, hosting, guys. man. That, yeah. I, I couldn't do it, dude. Nobody wanted Impromptu, to and uh, I think we got through, so that's good. Congratulations right. to Bayshore exactly. on the baby. Yes. Congratulations, yes. Ryan. Little we'll see you next week. Hell yeah. Thanks, guys. The Smoke and Rope Podcast is produced and hosted by me, Ryan Basor, the owner of Redemption Cannabis. Have ideas for episode topics or would like to be a guest on the show? Contact us at ryanb at redemptioncanna.com. Thanks for being along for the journey.